Hello, I'm Rachel. Welcome to Recovery Daily. And today I wanted to talk about uh, my stroke so I could tell you actually what happened um, and fill in some of those gaps. And so um, I've mentioned that the stroke was two years ago. So it was June 4th. 2021. And what happened was I, I had been working and I'm working at home and, uh, because of COVID and I was taking my dog out to go to the bathroom. And so we walked out on the leash and I was talking to myself (laughs) because that's what I do. I was just like whispering to myself, and um and all of a sudden what i was thinking in my head was not what was coming out of my mouth and all of a sudden i was like oh, you know like i realized all of a sudden that there was something wrong um and so I'm so grateful that I was sober when it happened. So I had already been sober for five years. Um, so I'm just, I had just celebrated my, um, my fifth year of sobriety. So, um, because I don't think if I was drinking, there's no way I would have realized that something was wrong. I would have, you know, I would have just gone to sleep probably. I'm, I'm guessing. So anyway, So I came back inside and I walked in and my boyfriend at the same time had been, he was like walking towards me. We were both coming up either side of uh, the landing um, to meet each other. And I looked at him and I said, I can't talk. And um, he looked at me like I had three heads, of course. And I think he thought I was having a panic attack, which I've been known for. Um, So he said uh, he was in the middle of something for work. Something was, uh, he does uh, computer stuff. (laughs) He's going to laugh when I say that. But anyway, he was was working and in a meeting or doing something. So my son was upstairs in the kitchen. So he said, why don't you uh, go upstairs and and talk to Tristan or something? So I went up there and I said the same thing to my son. I said, I can't talk. And so he, I I just remember the panic in his face when I said that. And so I like, I picked up a piece of paper and I tried to start reading it and I couldn't read the words. Like I knew what the words were saying. Like I, my brain knew what it said, but my mouth could not form the words. So he just about yelled at me and said that I needed to go to the hospital. So I started walking back down the stairs and uh, my boyfriend was coming back up and I said, or I said, watch this or something like that. And I tried to read the paper and I could, and again, I couldn't, say the words on the paper. And so he said, we need to go to the hospital. So we got in the car and we went to the hospital. Now I'm 
another thing, I'm very grateful that we had just moved to the area. So we moved from Charlestown, West Virginia to uh, Sterling, Virginia, and were are now 15 minutes from Reston Hospital. So we got in the car, 15 minutes later, we're walking into the ER. Um, I was trying to talk on the way to the hospital and um, he told me to stop talking. <laughs> I, I, I guess I was trying to prove to myself that I couldn't say the things that I was trying to say, um, but I, he just told me to stop talking. Um, and so anyway, we, we went in and, and the, the desk, when you come into the ER, they said, uh, I kind of sat down cause I just was, I don't know. I, I don't even know what, what, what was happening, but I just sat down in this chair beside the front desk and he said, she's having a hard time speaking or putting her words together or something like that. And um, so they took me right in, right to the back. And they laid me down on the table and started hooking stuff up to me. And, um, and I felt, I wasn't scared. I actually felt very calm and peaceful. And I felt like there's nothing I can do right now. Like I learned in my program and sobriety, we can't control people, places, and things. Well, it's not like I made a conscious choice to be like, ah, yes, I'm <laughs> something is wrong with me. I cannot control people, places, and things. I just realized that I was, my life was in their hands. I, I honestly, I didn't know if my life was in danger or anything. I didn't know what was happening. Um, I came to found out, find out later that um, my boyfriend suspected that I was having a stroke. And so um, they, there was a doctor in the ER. It was his last day. He was getting ready to retire. And um, he just so happened to be the guy. Um, and so he was trying to get me to talk. And it seemed like he didn't think it was that bad or something like that. I, I think he was explaining what my options were and, and the option was to get a clot buster. Um, if I was truly having, um, a stroke and it was, and it was a clot. So, uh, but he was, he was very, uh, hesitant to, uh, prescribe that, that kind of treatment, um, unless it was obviously, um, necessary. So I believe they wheeled me back, um, to get an um, MRI and, um, and they could tell that I was still having the stroke. So, um, they wheeled me back into one of the ER rooms and my boyfriend was there and they wheeled in, um, a Georgetown hospital uh, specialist on a TV and, and he started talking to me and the people, the doctors in the room were, uh, he was telling them how to do tests. And so they were doing the tests to me while he was kind of commanding the room. And, um, and they concluded I, I was in fact having a stroke, uh, 
And now that might be confusing because I'm not quite sure what came first or second, the MRI. Uh, they, I may have not had the MRI until after the clot buster. I don't really know the order of things. It's kind of a, a blur to me. But I do remember him saying, yes, you need to get the clot buster. You should get the clot buster. I'm recommending you get the clot buster, but it's only you make the decision. And so the guy, the same uh, almost retired guy, really just seemed to not be a a big uh, proponent of that. Um, I think he was just, so the reason why is because uh, I, I think I remember him saying that there's an 8% chance that uh, if you get the clot buster, that you're going to have a brain bleed. And so um, I remember thinking that at that point, I remember thinking I'm trying to save my life. That's I didn't realize that until that moment when he said that was possible. And so I, I was terrified and I looked at my boyfriend and he looked back at me and he just kind of nodded to me. Um, yes. And so we did it. And so, um, they, they, there were like, as far as I remember, there were a few doctors in there and they got me all set up to, to get the clot buster. And, and this was, this was legit, uh, there was one guy looking at the clock. There was another lady, you know, uh, supporting him. And then another person over there getting ready to inject it. Like this was the real deal. And they were doing it, uh, like by the clock and stuff. It was, it was very scary. And, um, anyway, so they, they gave it to me. And, and so during this whole time, the doctor's trying to, uh, keep me talking. And so, he, uh, somehow I had, and I was very talkative because that's what I am. <laughs> and so he said, uh, I guess I had said something about having a dog or something. And he asked me what kind of dog I had. And I said, I tried to say Weimaraner because that's, that's what I have. And I could not say Weimaraner. And I think I may have mentioned that yesterday or the day before. And so, um, so that's what he decided. Uh, number one, that I loved my Weimar honor. So I was excited to talk about it. And, um, and two, it was a word I could not say. So they were able to measure the success of the clot buster by over the, over that hour, um, to they said after the hour, I would be able to say, I should be able to say Weimar honor again. And so sure enough, that's what happened. And um, so during this hour, they're doing all these tests on me, um, like just to make sure that if I was having a brain bleed, they would instantaneously know that that's what was happening and they could address that issue. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I didn't have a brain bleed. <laughs> um, I ended up, uh, everything went, went at just as it should have. And, um, and I was able to start speaking more clearly. I, it wasn't perfect. I was really challenged to say a few 
to say words here and there. Um, I couldn't think of words. That was the biggest thing that I remember is I, there were obvious words that I just couldn't think of like table or, you know, that kind of thing, a, a normal everyday type word. I couldn't think of them. Um, today I still have that problem. I feel like I just can't think of words as fast as I used to. And I think I'm the only one who probably notices that. But um, I'm betting that my boyfriend notices it, but we haven't really talked about that. What he has noticed is that I, about three times a day, I've been counting. I can't think, I replace a word with another word. Um, Like instead of orange, I'll say apple and say instead of tennis court, I'll say golf course or something like that. And I won't even realize that I'm doing it. Um, And it, it gets worse. The, the more my head hurts, uh, the worse it gets. So, um, so back to the hospital, they put me in ICU. I never have a brain bleed. Uh, my kids get to come visit. Um, thankfully, I know they were very scared. And so they got to come in and, um, and they talked to me. They noticed that my speech was a little, a little slow, um, but, but it, it was really nice to, to have them come in and, And I, it was, I I think they were uncomfortable, obviously they were in ICU and and they were visiting me and there were doctors coming in, you know, there's a speech therapist that comes in. Um, There's a physical therapist that comes in and they're trying to figure out what happened, like what, uh, like post stroke symptoms I'm going to have, what was damaged, what part of my brain was affected um and how is that going to impact uh you know my my physical well-being and all of that stuff so um the speech therapist said that my my speech wasn't uh affected to the degree that i needed to go to speech therapy so that was good all of my physical tests were fine. My face was, you know, my both sides of my face were fine. All my muscles were working appropriately. The only thing that I really had going on that really stood out was a headache. And, um, I ended up getting admitted. I was in the hospital for five days and throughout the time that I was there, not a lot happened. I was really just waiting for all the different doctors to come in and check me out. Um, but the one thing that stood out was I had a headache and I kept asking for headache medicine. And I remember this clearly. Um, they were giving me Tylenol and because that's what they give you in hospitals. They give you Tylenol. And it wasn't working. And so they just kept giving me Tylenol. And I'm like, this is not working. I need Advil or something. I need something other than Tylenol. 
And so I think they ended up giving me an a leave or something like that. I believe that's what it was. And uh, it didn't do anything. But I still had a headache. And I kept telling them. And so I just kept sleeping and waking up. I In the five days that I was in that hospital room, I never turned the TV on. Um, and it's not that I didn't, it's not that I knew something was wrong with my eyes. It's just that my head hurt. And I really had no desire to turn any lights on or turn the TV on or open the window shade or anything like that because my head was bothering me. And um, so my recovery, my sobriety recovery was starting to kind of whisper in the back of my mind, ask for a Percocet, ask for a Percocet. Don't ask for a Percocet. That's not good. Don't ask for a Percocet. I really want a Percocet. (laughs) And uh, so I'm having this internal battle and I knew that I wanted a Percocet for the wrong reason. Even though my head hurt, I think I think I wanted a Percocet because I wanted my head to stop hurting. But I also remember abusing Percocets in college when I was drinking, and I loved it. And so I was hoping that I could kill two birds. I could feel good, and I could get rid of the the pain. And um, so. Anyway, so I just wanted to mention that. I'll come back to that. So nothing ended up working. I just had a headache for five days. And the the doctors that I had to wait for for the five days were um, I saw a neurologist, I saw an oncologist, a, cardio, a cardiologist, and a vascular surgeon. And... Um, this was all to, you know, figure out it's, it's like the, the need to figure out what happened to me started. So they are, you know, checking my cholesterol. They're asking me, do you have any, um, you, has, did your parents have a stroke? Does your mom have heart problems? Does your dad have AFib? Does your, all of these things. And so, you know, I can name a couple things. My grandmother had a stroke, but she was 80 something when she had a stroke. Um, my brother has AFib. Um, but I don't think he, I think he had a little bit of a heart skipping thing going on when we were younger, but anyway, um, nothing, you know, nothing life threatening that I really could share other than my grandmother had a stroke. And so there was really no obvious signs as to why I had the stroke. So they, um, they started we, um, what's the word I'm trying to say? Like they started like weeding, weeding things out as to why I could have had the stroke. So they just start eliminating things. 
So they took me off of birth control and um, they put me on a heart monitor for a month. And um, I got a transesophageal echocardiogram. And um, because there's a possibility that I had a hole in my heart. So I'll explain that. So um, I got the COVID vaccine. Um, Some of you may have been like, "Ah, of course, it goes back to the COVID vaccine. But I got a COVID vaccine. And then the next day, I um, had a, a colonoscopy. I think it was the next day. And I ended up getting a clot in my arm from the uh the IV when I got when I had the um sorry I'm having a hard time remembering words here uh when I had the sorry um colonoscopy sorry see this is the thing that happens so um that clot in my arm ended up moving up my like moving up my arm and my whole arm was in so much pain so much pain that I ended up a few days later or a couple days later going to the ER because I thought something was really wrong with my arm and so it turns out they told me to put a heating pad on it there was nothing they could do so uh I did that and it it kind of started subsiding. I I can't really remember. And then um, we went. Then I got my second vaccine, um, COVID vaccine. <clears throat> and four days later, I had the stroke. So they thought that it's a possibility that the clot in my arm, because it was right up in my shoulder at that point. It had started out at my elbow and. It was up in my arm. It was kind of all in there. And um, they thought that maybe it could have, if it was in a a, um, a main uh, vein, that it could have gone, traveled through and through a, a hole in my heart and reached my brain. And so everybody, I learned that everybody has, uh, a hole in their heart when they're born and most people the hole closes and uh, but but there is a, a percentage of people whose uh, the hole remains and so if I were to have a clot in a main vein in my arm then it's possible that it would travel through the hole in my heart and up to my brain I don't have a hole in my heart so the only explanation that I can possibly provide you is that I got a clot in my arm from the first COVID vaccine, and I got a clot in my brain from the second COVID vaccine. That's the only possible explanation as to why I had my stroke. Now, I have gone to all of these doctors that I just mentioned to you. And um, the the neurologist, uh, actually, I don't want to call all of them, 
do not, will not admit that it was from the COVID vaccine, all of them. Um, and I talked to my family doctor about that and she, you know, same thing. It's, it's, it's all a legal thing. You know, nobody wants to admit anything. Nobody wants to say why I had a stroke. And um, it's just fascinating to me, but I'm going to move on because that's what I've done in life. I've moved on from that because it's not about why I had the stroke anymore. It's about the headaches. So I still have the headaches. And um, so I ended up going on short-term disability because I just, I couldn't function with the headaches. And I noticed that when I was on any digital device, that's when it was the worst um, to the point where I could not look at my phone. Like I could not look at a digital device. And so um, I went on short-term disability. I started doing um, a little, like I would work like 10 or 15 minutes. I would try to be on the computer and then I would have to take about a two hour break to make my head and my my brain relax and stop being so tight and feel these this aching feeling um and then I would work again for another like 15 minutes and then I would have to take this to our rig so this is what I did for months this is what I did and then I slowly was able to start working um for a half an hour at a time and then an hour at a time. And then, um, and then I got to the point where my short-term disability was over and my head still hurt. But so I started applying for long-term disability, but I thought, I don't, I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. <laughs> I don't short-term disability is a pain in the ass. And so I, because you're, you have to go through the doctors, you're going through the insurance company, you're going through your, you know, finance department. And, and although everybody was magically wonderful for me, I mean, they really were, everybody was super supportive other than the doctors, uh, (laughs) in a lot of, in a lot of ways, the doctors were very frustrating to me but I know that they're doing their best. Um, so anyway, I didn't want to deal with long-term disability. I didn't want to deal with all of that shit again. Like, so I decided I'm just gonna start working full-time again. And I'm just gonna get up at six 30 in the morning and go to sleep at nine o'clock at night. And I'm going to work and take breaks and work and take breaks and fit my eight hours in there. And I did, that's what I did. And I've been doing that for, uh, so I guess it's about a year and a half because I was on short-term disability for three months. So, um, so almost two years I've been doing that. And um, I have gotten to the point where I can't even look at a digital device for 15 minutes. So I had gotten to the point where I I built back up to be able to to work for 
an hour at a time, two hours at a time. I even was make making myself work eight hour days and I would just take little breaks like a normal person. And I think there was something, I just wanted to be normal. I love my job. I love feeling like I'm needed. I love being creative. I love having projects and um, completing them. I love exceeding people's expectations. I love ideas and I love making things turn from an idea into reality. And, and so I wanted to, I wanted to work. And so over the past six months, I was really, really fortunate, really fortunate. I, I was given the opportunity to get something uh, started at work that, that folks have been wanting to, to do for a few years now. It's just a, an online um, learning center uh, for users of our platforms to be able to do on-demand learning. And, and this is something that, that several uh, folks have wanted to do, and there was like turnover in the department and stuff. And so it just never got done. And so it wasn't really in my lane. I, uh, but I did it. Uh, I wanted to do it because I knew it was possible and it was going to be not terribly difficult. So I wanted to do it, but what it did require was a lot of my time. And so I worked not only my eight hours, but I probably, I not probably, I know I was working, um, 11, 12 hour days at times. And, um, and so I've, I've really, I've done this to myself. Honestly, I thought that if I forced myself to be normal, I would be normal. And I'm not. And so I think what I've done is imagine, imagine, um, you broke your ankle and you, you know, you, you sit around for however long it takes to heal a broken ankle. And then you get back up and the, the first day that they tell you that you're allowed, that you can walk without a, without um, a boot or anything like that, you start walking two miles a day <laughs> and then a year later you start running and you never stop. There's no way that that ankle is going to be able to keep up. The ankle broke unless you got some kind of physical therapy. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't, I don't know anything about broken ankles, but you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> so, um, I, I think that I've, I think 
that I've realized that what I went through actually was a big deal. That sounds really weird, but I was talking to a friend today and I said, you know, I, I never really admitted that what happened was a big deal. I just had a headache and you know, people kept telling me, you need to take care of yourself. You got to put yourself first. You need to rest, Rachel rest, you know, stop working so hard. Stop. You don't need to do that. We can do it for you. And I, and I just didn't listen. I really just didn't think that it was a big deal. And what I shared yesterday about that moment um, a couple days ago, three days ago, that moment that I realized that something has to change and it has to change now, um, I realized that it's a big deal. What happened to me is a big deal. And everybody's stroke is different. And I don't, I feel lucky that you can't see it. Like, I feel lucky that I can just, you know, go around town or, well, I can't go around town because I can't get in the car <laughs> and drive anywhere. But if I were, if I were to be out in public, like nobody can see that anything happened to me. Nobody can see that I had a stroke. And I guess that's a good thing. But is it? Because I, I can't, I can't go anywhere. I can't, without feeling like shit, I can't go anywhere. I can't drive. I can't ride in the car. I can't ride a bike. I can't, you know, we went to, we went to home goods yesterday and we were looking around my boyfriend and I, we were looking around for fancy new stuff for the house. And I just love home goods. And so Usually when I walk in there, my eyes are like all over the place. It's like, it's like I'm, it's like I'm frantic, you know, trying to take it all in and, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And I got to touch everything and I'm just looking all over the place. And so I walked in there and I was, I started looking around and it took not even 15 seconds. I was looking around. My eyes were just like traveling all over looking at all the fancy shiny stuff and I was like I can't do this so I methodically started walking down a home goods aisle looking at one side of the aisle one shelf at a time and I just walked slowly and then I turned around at the end of the aisle and looked at the other side of the aisle and walked back. And um, it was fine, but it's certainly not as exciting as uh, 
you know, it's like going to, it's like going to Disney world and you're not allowed to look around. You just have to, you get led to one ride at a time here. You can now get on this ride. And so it's just, uh, I don't know. That's a little of me feeling sorry for myself, but so here we are. So that's what happened. And, um, I, a a couple of the treatments that were offered to me were, um, my, my neurologist tried to provide me with migraine medication because I was telling him I have headaches and it's not a headache. I don't know if I've explained this yet. The headache is not like a headache where you take Advil and it goes away. It's like there's different degrees of it. And it starts with uh, like an, like a small ache in the upper left side of my head. And then if I continue to be exposed to whatever in my environment is causing that sensation in my head, it will start feeling like my whole head, I explained yesterday, right through the center, all the way around my head, feels like there's a, a stack of rubber bands being tightened around my head, inside my head, and somebody's just cranking it, you know, like one of those stretch tables, just cranking it, stretching it, stretching it. And then um, if I continue to be exposed to the environment that's causing that, I will start to feel nauseous. Um, And then after that, I'll have, I'll start having sharp pains in my head. And, um, and so I've started to really be able to articulate it a little better. Um, because before it was like, I just kept saying it's a headache, my headache, you know? And, um, so he gave me migraine medicine. It didn't do anything just like the, the, Tylenol in the hospital didn't do anything. And, um, and so I stopped going to the neurologist because when I went back to him and I said, it didn't do anything. He said, let's not throw the bath, the baby out with the bath water. And so he said, he increased the medication and And it still didn't do anything. So I stopped going, which I know is not the correct solution, but I was frustrated. So I stopped going and I went back to my family doctor and I explained to her what was happening because I went to, um, I went on a business trip and, and really had a tough time. Um, I rode in an Uber and, looking around the airport, we went to go visit the seals in San Diego and standing, standing out like in front of the ocean and watching all the waves and the seals and stuff was, oh, it was terrible. It hurts my head even thinking about it. And, um, and I explained that all to her. And she said that 
this sounds very much like uh, what my daughter experienced when she got a concussion. And so uh, I thought that was interesting. So she said that her daughter ended up going to vision therapy. She went to a neurooptometrist. And so she recommended that I go. So that's what I did. And, um, and so I went, I went a little bit, I, I went for a couple months and, um, and it's interesting what they do. It's kind of like, I, I kind of felt like I was at, in preschool and I just got to play games. I got to play different games that, te- uh, that caused me to have to, um, decipher what I'm looking at and solve problems and test the convergence and divergence of my eyes and things like that. So I ended up uh, going and it wasn't a terrible experience, but it ended, I really, I couldn't drive myself there. So I stopped going. And again, that was not the right, the right answer, but I was still in this, I'm a normal person (laughs) uh, kick. And so I stopped going to that. And so um, today I am—I have an appointment tomorrow with a new vision therapist and my boyfriend's going to drive me. And uh, so that's tomorrow afternoon. And tomorrow morning I have a, a, an appointment with my family doctor. I'm going to explain to her what's going on and I'm going to request that I go back on short-term disability and I'm going back to vision therapy. And my brother actually suggested uh, <clears throat> ketamine infusion, the ketamine infusions. And so um, I'm going to look into it. I'm going to ask my doctor about it. I'm going to um, go have a consultation with somebody and see what they think about that. And um so we'll see. I'm going to learn a little bit about that. And so that's where I'm at. And I just really wanted to share my story of what actually happened to me. And, um, and so one thing that I, that I didn't finish on my story, and then I'll wrap up, is the Percocet issue. So... What ended up happening with the Percocets, they did not give me any Percocets in the hospital, but I managed to convince the doctor that was assigned to me in the hospital to prescribe me some Percocets. I didn't say give me Percocets. She said, maybe we should try Percocets. And I thought, this isn't a good idea, but I said, yes, let's do that. So she was not concerned with the fact that I was, I did mention that I'm an alcoholic and I was uh, concerned that I could get addicted. And she said, "Uh, well, I'm only going to give you five or something like that. So I thought, oh, what's the harm in that? So I came home and I took one and I did not 
get the sensation that I did when I was in college and I was drinking beers and I would uh, have my Percocets. <clears throat> so that was a bummer. And um, what it did do is, is it relieved my head because it put me into a nice deep sleep. That's all that happened. It did not get make the pain go away because that's not the kind of headache I have. It just put me asleep so, you know, contently, I suppose, that my I was able to escape the pain for a little bit. And so what's interesting is I talked about this in, in my AA uh, meeting, and I know that AA is, is an anonymous program, and um, I was wondering if that was going to slip out of my mouth during, <laughs> during this podcast, but um, I, I suppose it's, it's fine. I'm, I'm only talking about myself, um, so it's fine, but I was talking about how I, uh, I wanted the Percocets and, and so on and so forth and, and how it's really unfortunate that when you take the Percocets for the right reason, it doesn't give you the pleasure that it does when you take them for the wrong reason. So I, I don't by any means consider myself to have slipped um, by taking drugs or anything like that, I ended up throwing away the rest of the Percocet. So, um, all is well. And, and that was, that was two years ago. And I really have not revisited that idea to take Percocets or anything like that. But, but a lot of times, um, when people who are in recovery go through these types of physical, you know, illnesses or accidents and stuff like that, we are challenged by having to make the decision or have a caregiver help us take the drugs that are prescribed to us in the way that they are prescribed. And another example of that is I went to a periodontist and I was offered laughing gas uh, for the, for the periodontist appointment. And I declined and I actually called my sponsor from the dentist uh, chair and said, and the, and I, the periodontist excused themselves for, for a minute. And I told her that I was, um, I had the opportunity to have laughing gas and I wanted it. And that made me nervous. That made me think that I shouldn't have it. And she said that it was up to me um, whether I take it or not, but think about w what your what your goal is. What is your intention? Is your intention to feel good from it? Or is your intention to make sure that you don't hurt? You know, um, are you afraid of the pain? Or is there another way to relieve the pain 
And I said, well, they can just numb my mouth. And so the periodontist came, I got off of the phone with my sponsor and uh, the periodontist came back in and I said, um, I would prefer if you did not give me laughing gas and you just numbed my mouth. And so that's what happened. And um, unfortunately, there was one part of my mouth that did not numb during that periodontist appointment. And that sucked. But um, but I did the right thing. And I'm super proud of that. So anyway, this was a long one. But uh, hopefully, I have now told my story. So if anybody wants to know what happened to the action in the whole, whole stroke thing um, that happened to me, I've got it all recorded now. So um, there you have it. And um, I am off to sleep and to my doctor's appointments tomorrow. So I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye.